This is Dawn Schuler, certified trainer and business consultant at the Schuler Group with When People Thrive, Companies Thrive podcast. I'm here today with my partner in business and partner in life, Mark, and we have been going hog wild over celebrating the fact that the best team formation is one that celebrates its differences. So welcome, Mark, to my podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We've always known that the best teams and the best departments and the best organizations are those that are diverse. And we've been very excited that with one of our clients where we've been doing deep work with their individuals, their departments, their teams, that when we've determined what everybody's strengths, values, and personality styles are, that instead of feeling like, oh, but everybody should be the same, they've actually celebrated the differences of the individuals. So years ago, actually, I I heard that uh, Abraham Lincoln, when he was elected president, loaded his cabinet with Uh, Enemies could be a a strong word, but definitely rivals. And people who didn't care that he was president, in fact, there were some who thought they should have been president and others who just thought he shouldn't have been president. So that was a very bold move because he was essentially creating a cabinet of people that were going to question and ask everything that he was doing. there's actually a book now called Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. I've read excerpts from it. And indeed, uh, that is what he did. Um, he put opposite party members on the cabinet, whatever. Not, not just because they all had to be smart. They had to be intelligent people, and he knew that. But they had different opinions about how things should be done in the world. And he knew that it would keep him honest, no pun intended, um, <laughs> We think he had a better presidency as a result of it, and indeed the model has been used by other presidents who are forward-thinking. You know, and I think that's the point, the forward-thinking piece. We are in a period of time, and have been, not just because of COVID-19, but because of technology racing so much faster than we might have ever believed 20 or 30 years ago, it's important that there is change, that there is innovation, that there is adaptation. Because if you just do things the way it's always been done, you're not going to get very far. And surrounding yourself with yes men men. and yes women is just going to give you more of the same. There won't be innovation. There won't be change. There won't be creativity. Now, the other, having said all this, the, the downside of, of this type of thinking and whatever is that you could get into deadlocks and stalemates because if, if, there, if, if people aren't going to budge on something, uh, then, then you're, that's what's going to happen. Now, we were recently talking about how there needs to be a leader on a team. There needs to be a decision maker. And that is why this whole idea works, this structure works, because... You can avoid the deadlock by the team leader finally making a decision that's probably not going to be the one that everybody wants. Uh, making some uh, compromises, etc., might happen. But at the end of the day, you have the team leader who says, okay, 
I've heard everything. My analogy is uh, from the next generation, where I think it was Guinan asks Wesley, well, you know, what would what would Captain Picard do? Because Wesley had his first command. And he said, well, he'd bring everybody into the conference room. He would listen to everybody, maybe give some feedback, listen to everybody in the room and what they have to say. And then once he got it all, he would say, here's what we're going to do. So that's really important that you don't let your team make the final decision. You have to have somebody who makes a decision. But it's after all of the things have been considered and and from all angles. And that's very important in the traction system, the entrepreneurial operating system, the great book by Gino Wickman. He talks about not an organizational chart, but an accountability chart that at the head of every leg of an organization, it's the person, one person who's accountable, that if you have two VPs in a department say, that's not going to work because if they disagree with each other, they a decision will not be made. So there does have to be that owner of a department, of a project, of a task. Where does the buck stop? Who is ultimately responsible? And to make the best decisions, we're especially talking about organizations, but this is true, I think, everywhere. You need to have those different perspectives. The term informed choice comes up with this. Um, so there is another slightly different aspect, but but very close cousin to this whole idea. And this is something I heard about again quite a while ago. Uh, now, when Apple was first, I mean, it's going to date me, but when Apple was first creating the Macintosh, which was like their their big deal, it was going to be the computer in, a computer in every home and all that stuff. And this is probably in the late 80s, early 90s, as I recall. And um, so they created this whole wing of Apple computer that was devoted to creating this thing called the Macintosh. And Steve Jobs was smart enough to realize we have to create something that's essentially bulletproof. And so what they did was they created the build it department and then they created the break it department. And my understanding is they had a Jolly Roger flag uh, in the in the lot of that particular building that was the break it department. Wait, wait, what's a Jolly Roger flag? Uh, it's the flag that the pirates fly. Oh, interesting. You don't know that. I did not. I, I'm, I'm assuming that most of your li- listeners know what a Jolly Roger is, but someone might not. So thank you for that clarification. Anyway, yeah, they were the rogues over there. They were the bad, roguey ah. people. And um, so, of course, what would happen is the build-it department would create this wonderful thing called a Macintosh computer, and then the break-it department would take it and this team of people would do whatever they could to break it. And once they broke something, they'd send the broken thing back to the build-it department to fix. And this apparently went on for the better part of a year while they were developing this computer. And what the result was, of as bulletproof a computer for that time as they could possibly create. So that was the break-it department. So... Along about maybe a little bit later, there was a gentleman named Roger Robert J. Kriegel, I believe is his name, and he wrote a book called If It Ain't Broke, Break It. 
And his premise was, we live in a period of rapid change. Now, this was also back in the early 90s. We know this to be true. Technology just has jumped in, in leaps and bounds. And probably so has the thinking that we're talking about. And so, of course, you know what this is. The old saying is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he's not saying uh, that that's not true. He's saying we want to break it because because sooner or later, somebody's going to break it and create a better mousetrap. I would also say it's about that stuck thinking. Hmm. If If it ain't broke, don't fix it means you leave it alone. You don't address it anymore. You just keep doing things the way you've always done them. And you don't then figure out or discover if there are better ways to do it. One of our clients has had uh, some new staff join. And because they're new, they don't know how things have always been done. And what I love is that with this particular client, the department heads are looking at this actually as a positive benefit, saying, we've been doing things following a certain process. You're coming in with fresh eyes, with no preconceived notions of this is how we should do it or this is how we have been doing it. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe there's a different way to do it. And it's that whole, if it ain't broke, break it. Are we stuck in this process and that thinking mode of, but this is how we've always done it? Well, and you, th- this brings up a whole kind of a, another sub-satellite category of this whole thing, which is the, the way, what you just described, bringing in new people, fresh talent, uh, is almost don't pollute them with the way we do things until we at least get their perspective. Uh, when I Way back when I was a therapist and I worked in an agency, I would get these files, sometimes thick files. Here's your new client, right? So I would take this file and I might look at the first page that basically had the, the, the basic stats on this client. And then I would set it aside because the client's going to come and see me. They're going to be talking to me for an hour. I'm going to be listening to all the things. And I deliberately did that because I don't want to see what other people say about it. I want my own fresh you know, opinions, whatever you want to call it, first. Then I might see what other people said about it. So that that is, is critical to being fresh, moving on, and affecting change where needed. And... As a strengths performance coach, and the favorite tool that I use is the Gallup Clifton Strengths Finder tool, I really do celebrate those differences. Part of that is because one of my top five strengths is individualization, which that is the very essence of that strength, which is celebrate what makes people mm-hmm. unique. Donald Clifton, who is the founder of Strengths Finder, now it's called Clifton Strengths. One of his top strengths was individualization, too, which makes sense. Why would he do all this research and find out and try to find out, you know, what makes these successful people so great? What are their strengths, et cetera? Because he was fascinated by that. One of the research studies that Gallup has done over the years has been to try to figure out, do great leaders have similar strengths? Like, can you look at those 34 strengths and say, aha, these set of strengths are really what makes a leader great. 
And what they found is after they surveyed and interviewed political leaders, organization leaders from every industry, from every walk of life, is that no, there was no commonality in the strengths that the leaders themselves had. The one commonality was that they deliberately surrounded themselves with people who had different strengths from themselves. And that is what's important. Um, team different, mm-hmm. right? That that should be something we all celebrate, the fact that we are different. And you and I, Mark, have talked about <laughs> how our differences yeah. show up, but those are advantages. Yes, we, we perceive the world somewhat the same and somewhat different. So we can we can connect in certain ways, and then in other ways, we have a different perspective. And that probably keeps us honest and, and, uh, and engaged. It's that perspective. The way that I always think about it is we're walking along, and depending on how wide our peripheral vision is, we can only see 180 degrees. If we turn around, well, now we're blocking 180 degrees the other way and seeing that. But we can never see it all. And we're only seeing it also with the lenses which we have, and we all have that, how we're wired, our personalities, our styles, our learning styles, our management styles, if we're going to talk about organizations, all of that colors what we see. We absolutely need people who have different lenses Mm -hmm. and are looking at the landscape from a different perspective so that their 180 degrees is different from ours. Absolutely. So I'd like to bring this a little closer to home now because the Schuler Group has a client, a cybersecurity company. And, uh, and I actually knew the CEO before the company became our client. And I loved his philosophy you know, before they were a client. And because most companies like that, apparently they will go in and break whatever the system is. They will find the flaws in the system or they will hunt them down and break it and say, see, here's why you need us, right? His philosophy was, no, I will go in and do everything I can to shore up the system and fix everything I can possibly find, fix it first. Then he will come back in and try to break it. So he will actually come back in and try to usurp, upset, whatever, his own work. And that's a very interesting philosophy because it, it, it does two things. One, it makes sure that, that he's doing the best he can to make sure that they've got a secure system. And the other thing is it's helping him progress and learn because if he checks his own work and finds a problem, obviously that's something that's a fix. So that's another wrinkle on the uh, if it ain't broke, break it. He fixes it and then breaks it. And then tries to break so, it. So he's the, he's the, the created building and he's also the break it building right right so what does this mean for you who are listening it means whatever the size of your organization really look at bringing on people and for the people you already have really maximizing their strengths and especially those strengths and gifts that are different from your own if 
if we all are almost exactly the same, which of course isn't really possible, but if we all have the same way we look at the world and the same set of strengths and the same values and the same personality styles or very similar, we're, we're going to be in a very narrow lane. It's that diversity in all sorts of areas that gives us that different perspective that allows us to to really advance. Um, this image is coming to mind of if we were all the same, we'd be in like a single line and imagine that, you know, we're, we're, we're trudging through the fields or the forests mm -hmm. and, but we're in this single line because we're all very similar. When you have that diversity and those different perspectives, it's like now you're fanned out kind of like in a phalanx yes. and you can cover more ground. You can do more. You can it's that whole covering more ground instead of just the single file, narrow little path. So you may recall the first, the commercial that kind of blew the doors off of everything that was Apple's first real venture into the world. That was basically exactly what you just said. There were just soldiers marching with whatever computer they had, march, march, march. And then I can't remember all the details, but obviously their new product was in color and everybody was marching in black and white and uh the one you know the one different one was the one that stood out and that commercial actually matched the philosophy that we're talking about interesting so however you need to do it whether it's slow down and take a good look at your organization and what each person including yourself brings to it and celebrating those individuals, their zones of genius and their differences, or being really conscious and intentional about filling seats in your organization with, of course, the right people. But sometimes those right people might be quite different from yourself or maybe who had that seat before them. So do your best to really celebrate Team Different and create team different instead of team same. Anything you'd like to add, Mark? Actually, I think we've covered it quite well. Thank you for having me. This was really an amazing moment for me to have all this stuff come out of me. And I've enjoyed the conversation. So I hope the rest of you have as well. Again, go celebrate team different. And until next time, may you thrive.